Stonebridge, thanks for joining us for another week of online worship. We're so glad that you're here. Hey, Stonebridge Church, welcome to online worship. My name is Lee. It is Palm Sunday weekend. It's good to be with you again. Um, we're going to do something a little different this week. We're going to have some uh, added instrumentation uh, to the music, so um, hopefully you'll enjoy that. Uh, but let's start out with a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for your great love and faithfulness. Lord, we praise your name for the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus. And this week, as we remember uh, his entry into the city, um, Lord, we remember the great sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And Lord, the grace and eternal life and hope that we have as a result of it. And we just give you all the honor for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.
the Stonebridge Online. Due to COVID-19, how we will be doing church for the next several weeks is going to look very different. Feel free to pause this video during these announcements in order to grab all the information you may need. Are you having good days and bad days? Is social distancing making you feel socially isolated? Now more than ever, with the help of Zoom and other online platforms, growth groups are a vital part of staying connected. Following Easter, Pastor Neil will be starting a new message series, and it will be a great time to join the community and get the support growth groups provide. For more information, contact Barbara Waite by giving her a call or sending her an email. We'd love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your prayers and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are important to us. One of Stonebridge's core values is serving. In case you haven't already heard, the Red Cross is experiencing a critical shortage and soliciting donations. During this national health crisis, this may be a way to help save lives. Please visit redcross.org to schedule a local appointment. Once again, thanks for worshiping with us online. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Hello, Stonebridge. Pastor Neil here on Palm Sunday. I've got my palm branch. I'm waving it a bit. And uh, I'm sorry we're not able to all have them and all be celebrating together. Uh, this is really a historic Palm Sunday. I'm sure next Palm Sunday won't be anything like this. And we can pray for that, that we'll all be together. We just heard the Palm Sunday story read. Thank you for reading that. And uh, we will get to that story in a moment. But I want to jump forward a couple verses uh, just because there is a verse that is so ironic, the most ironic uh, verse uh, in the story and possibly in Scripture, meaning simply that it is exactly the opposite of what we would expect to have happen. Uh, and so let me read that to you. It says, The blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were... Now, can you guess what those chief priests and teachers were? Uh, I mean, if you know the story of the Gospels, then you probably have an idea. But if you don't know that, and you assume that religious leaders see somebody come in and do some healing and children loving on them and them loving them, uh, wouldn't you think that they were overjoyed? They jumped right in and participated. They went and got their own kids and brought them to Jesus. They shouted praise to God. No, nope. It says, when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things Jesus did, they were indignant. They were angry. Wow, exactly the opposite of what we might have imagined. And in fact, their anger and indignation was caused by fear. They were afraid of what the Romans might do. The Romans were in control of Jerusalem uh, and 
the triumphant entry uh, into Jerusalem by Jesus with the palm fronds being waved, that was really the people saying, come be our king. The palm fronds were a sign of, uh, of the king uh, being celebrated. And then when the children shout, Hosanna to the son of David, well, that's even worse because David is the, the real king and his lineage, his line uh, of kings after him. You know, that's the true line. And so who's king in Israel uh, is Herod who was a puppet governor, a puppet king placed there by the Romans, and he was a vicious man. And if he gets wind of people calling Jesus the, uh, the son of David, the true king, and the religious leaders not doing anything about it, oh my gosh, uh, all heck could break loose. So they're really afraid. And people do crazy things when they're afraid. So here's Jesus doing wonderful things, healing people, using power none of them had ever seen uh, anybody use in their lifetime, certainly, uh, and uh, talking about goodness and forgiveness and love, and their reaction is to criticize him out of fear and anger. Wow. Contrast that with Jesus now as we go back to those first verses, riding into trouble on a donkey. Really, Jesus entered Jerusalem by faith on a donkey, knowing that he would leave by death on a cross. Jesus entered, to, Jesus entered Jerusalem by faith, not by fear. And we know he entered by faith because we read what happened in just the, the chapter just before he enters Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, we read this. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took his 12 disciples aside and said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed uh, to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen and he went anyway. He wasn't afraid. He went by faith. In Jesus Christ, we can live by faith, not fear. Live by faith. Faith, not fear. To be clear, though, we always have both. We have faith and we have fear. They go together. They're like yin and yang. They're like chocolate and peanut butter. Everybody has some fear and some faith. Uh, no one has no faith, and no one uh, has only fear. But one of those two is always dominant in each of us. Faith or fear is dominant in each of us. So I want you to make a muscle. Uh, people like to exercise their biceps um, and work on those, but for every bicep that we have, we have a tricep too. Uh, they go together. If uh, one, one pulls down and the other pulls up. If we didn't have triceps, then once we got our arm up here, we'd have to figure out some way to push that arm down. But the triceps uh, do that. We have both, uh, but one often is dominant. In Jesus, faith was dominant. In the chief priests and the teachers, fear were foremost. They could have been motivated by faith, in which case, when they saw Jesus doing all of those wonderful things, they could have fallen on their knees and said, praise God, we've been waiting for you. We thank God for you, Jesus. Messiah. Um, and they would have invited him to be one of them. Join us, not for us to control you, but for you to lead us, Jesus. The chief priests and teachers could have been dominated by faith. Today we face uh, really challenging situations in the United States and in the world. Will we be motivated by faith or by fear? Remember, we always have both. Uh, we, can't, we can't get rid of them. We're going to have some fear. We're going to have some faith. But which one will dominate? Let's assume we want to be motivated by faith. How do we go about doing that? How do we get stronger faith? Well, let's uh, look at our biceps and triceps analogy. Which muscle is stronger? It's the one that gets the exercise, isn't it? It's the one we work. 
So I have three suggestions for us that will help us work our faith, help us exercise and strengthen our faith. Number one, start small. Start small. Uh, Psalm 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Well, there's a lot of big words in that sentence or two. It says, all your heart, all your ways. That's big. That's not small. But we don't start there. It's a wonderful goal to have, but we can start small, start little. So let's go back to that uh, music, uh, muscle analogy. Most of us have made the mistake of, about getting excited about exercise, and so we dive into it on the first day, and we really overdo it, and we pay for it the next couple days because we're so sore. That's, that's doing it big. We need to do it small. And when we muscles, you know, when they get better, we go back and we start again small, exercising just a little bit at a time. In my physical therapy with my uh, double knee replacement, while you could have imagined that when I uh, got to physical therapy that uh, they might have said, here, sit in this, uh, on this stool with wheels and pull yourself across the room, okay? Uh, or maybe sit in a wheelchair and you know, drag your uh, feet and pull yourself along in the wheelchair. They didn't do either of those. Oh, I started so much smaller. Do you want to know what they had me do? They put a paper towel on the floor, had me put my foot on it, and said, drag that paper towel back to your wheelchair. I, I, I mean, a week before, I was on the treadmill and the elliptical and the stationary bike. I was exercising. And now, put your foot on a paper towel and drag the paper towel 18 inches, do you want to know something? I couldn't do it. I mean, I, I, it took all my strength to pull that paper towel. Start small. Our faith muscles may not be very strong. So um, start small. Here's an exercise you can do. Just practice one activity that you have heard about over the last couple weeks an activity that helps us say to our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones, we're in this together. So maybe it's something online or Zoom or emails or letters, things like that. Or it could be a sidewalk chalk. Uh, we've just seen some wonderful blessings of uh, children who have written some encouraging uh, words to us as we walk along on the sidewalks. Somebody else said that they're doing uh, drinks on the driveway. And so everybody sits on their own driveways and, and has drinks at a certain time of day. Uh, and in our neighborhood, we heard bells being played uh, at 7 o'clock at night, you know, little uh, kind of bells. And so we researched it and we found out that neighbors were ringing bells uh, at 7 o'clock on their front porch to signify that we are in this together. So we wanted to do that. So we got involved. I mean, that's a pretty small thing. Uh, and we rang it and next night we forgot and we didn't hear any. Uh, we kind of forgot about it. But last night, we heard a lot of bells being rung. So we went out and we started ringing our bells on our porch. And then we wanted to see where, if we could see somebody else. So we walked out uh, a little bit and we could see neighbors down the street ringing their bells. And we thought, well, let's go down to the sidewalk. And then we thought, oh no, you can't go down to the sidewalk. I mean, maybe we're not allowed to, or uh, you know, maybe somebody would look at us and, and we think we're silly and we'd be embarrassed. And then we thought, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody walking by looks at us funny and we say, hey, we're ringing bells to say we're in this together. We could do that much. We got to the sidewalk. We waved to the people down the street. They waved back. We're in it together. Small steps. Look for a way to, by faith, make an effort to demonstrate, to acknowledge that we're in this together. Start small. Number two, extend your faith. Extend your faith. I have been at the gym watching people exercise their biceps, but they do it in this really funny way. They get this big weight and they, and they do this. Uh, uh, uh. They exercise like that far. And I'm telling you, they have got huge biceps. And I'm thinking, if I ever have a really heavy thing I need moved from here to here, oh, I'm calling them. But what about the rest of it? 
they're weak from all the rest of the way. Uh, what we want to do is extend our faith. We need to figure out how to get that going further. That's why we have mission trips. Besides the fact that it helps people somewhere else and service projects that help people out there, it also stretches us. It stretches our faith. Extend your faith. Um, and I'm going to give you a heads up. When we do that, there'll be something inside us that's uncomfortable, that feels awkward. It could cause us emotional stress just because our hearts and minds aren't used to doing things this way by faith. Maybe we've been acting by fear and, and our bodies are like, we don't want to try that. Maybe that's why the two most important rules in both the Old and the New Testament are this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Our hearts and minds and strengths are used to working one way, and now we need to stretch them to work in new ways that might be uncomfortable for them. They need to get some extending, some stretching, and uh, sometimes that feels a little bit uncomfortable. And if you've ever been on a service project or a mission trip, you probably know what I'm talking about. I was bow-legged uh, all my life until the surgery. And I told my surgeon that, and he was happy. He said, oh, we're going to fix that. We're going to straighten your legs. Well, that's great. I mean, who doesn't need to be an inch taller or something? So, uh, but I'll tell you what, the day after surgery, I could not move my legs. And if I ever could move them a little bit, the pain was excruciating. It was the worst pain I had ever felt. And it wasn't just pain on the knees. In fact, the knees were okay. It was everything around the knees, all the ligaments and tendons and muscles. And it went on for weeks. And of course, it didn't hurt that badly, you know, after a little while, but it still hurt. And then after about a month, all of that kind of went away. And it was mostly just my knees that hurt. And those, you know, take time to recover. And I told the nurse that, hey, you know, it's now it's just my knees that hurt. And they said, well, welcome to normal. I, I, well, what do you mean? She said, that's what all regular patients who get this knee replacement surgery, that's what they normally feel. Well, then why did I have so much pain? And she said, because you were bow-legged and now your legs are straight. And she put her arm up and she said, what if your arm had been like this all its life and now it's like this? What do you think these muscles feel like? What do you think these muscles feel like? Ooh, I don't have to think. I know. They hurt. I knew exactly what it felt like. So through it all, we need to extend those faith muscles. And as we move from fear to faith, we need to extend our faith, not radically, gently, carefully, gradually. And finally, number three, do this to be able to do that. Do this to be able to do that. So there's a scene in a, uh, in a movie that is a classic. And in fact, um, it is so familiar and is such a great point that when I say four words, anyone who's seen the movie is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen the movie, you may very well know what the point is and know the story anyway. And if you don't know what the story is and you've never heard of it, once I tell you the story, it's going to make sense to you too. So here are the four words. Wax on, wax off. The karate kid. Daniel, a kid, uh, wanted to learn karate. And so he went to a karate master, Mr. Miyagi, and asked him to teach him. And Mr. Miyagi, for the first week, didn't say a word about karate, didn't teach him a thing about it. But what he had him do was chores around Mr. Miyagi's house. So uh, he had to wash his car. And Mr. Miyagi insisted that he do it a certain way. And he was to uh, wax on the wax clockwise and wax off the wax counterclockwise. And then he had wooden floors and Daniel had to sand the floors, but he had to sand it in a certain way, forward and back. And then he wanted him to paint his house, and, uh, but Daniel had to paint it up and down certain ways. At the end of a week, Daniel was so frustrated, he felt used, felt like Mr. Miyagi didn't care at all and was taking advantage of him. And he was ready to storm off when Mr. Miyagi said, just a minute, and basically uh, said, defend yourself. 
and Mr. Miyagi began to throw punches at him, and Daniel used the very actions, the behaviors that he had learned uh, to ward off the blows. Mr. Miyagi hadn't talked about karate, but he had trained him, trained Daniel, to begin to be able to behave the natural way for karate. And that's what we mean by do this to be able to do that. Uh, Daniel did chores to be able to begin to do karate. Now, we aren't seeking to practice karate. We're seeking to learn to live by faith. So we don't just do physical training, though that is beneficial as well. Um, but we have to make an effort of some kind. And of course, there's going to be mental and spiritual effort that's put into it. It isn't enough to listen to somebody teach about faith, just like it isn't enough to have someone teach you about karate. You have to do something. One of the great Mr. Miyagi's of faith formation is Dallas Willard, and you've heard me talk about him. He made this excellent observation. He said, we have counted on preaching and teaching and knowledge or information to form faith in the hearer and to have that faith form inner life and outward behavior in a Christian. But for whatever reason, the strategy has not turned out very well. The result is that we have multitudes of professing Christians who well may be ready to die, but obviously are not ready to live and can hardly get along with themselves, much less with others. Well, Dallas wrote that some time ago, but I think it's appropriate today as well. Hearing about faith will not ingrain it in us any more than learning about karate will make us skilled at it. In its simplest form, faith formation is doing this to be able to do that. And I'll give just one example, one last example, but I think it's relevant. I think you will recognize it right away. So here's a conversation Carolyn and I have been having uh, multiple times this week. Carolyn, don't touch your face. Neil, I don't have the virus. I have washed my hands. I have sanitized my hands so many times, they're dry and chafe. I've been in the house for two weeks. We don't have the virus. Why can't I touch my face? Carolyn, habit. <laughs> habit. I don't touch my face. I practice not touching it. I practice washing my hands. I practice hand sanitizing so that when I go out into the real world, when I have an itch on my eye, I don't automatically rub it. We have to practice at home to be able to do it in the real world. Do this to be able to do that. So I have one exercise for you. Uh, and it has a mental component and a physical component. And uh, just doing the physical part isn't going to uh, work faith. But if you do the physical part and, and the mental part together, it will work. So two things uh, to tell you about it. Number one, you are going to think this is as dumb an idea as Daniel thought about the chores he had to do. And number two, it works. I taught this eight years ago, and someone came to me recently who had heard it then and said, Neil, I have been practicing this for eight years. It has changed my life. So I'm telling you, it works. All right? Uh, if you're ready, um, you don't need to write this down. Just uh, do what I invite you to do. Put your hand up. Now, I assume you've raised your dominant hand. If you're right-handed, uh, your right hand is up. If you're left-handed, your left hand is up. And if you're stubborn, neither hand is up. Would you do this for me? Just raise your dominant hand. All right? Now, here's the exercise. Brush your teeth with the opposite hand. Brush your teeth with the opposite hand. For the next week, in the morning and at night, when you get ready to brush your teeth, just put it in your opposite hand and brush. Oh, you are gonna be shocked. You are gonna laugh 
and you're gonna be frustrated. You're gonna hit yourself in the eye, you're gonna hit yourself in the nose, and it's gonna be the slowest thing you ever did. Uh, but it works. That's the physical part. And this will remind you that living by faith is awkward as well and hard as well. And as you are brushing awkwardly, reflect on your day. This is uh, at night. Reflect on your day. And, and where, where were you wanting to have faith? But it didn't quite work out. Uh, where fear crept in, and just forgive yourself uh, and say, Lord, I am trying to learn faith. I'm trying to grow faith. Here's some examples of where that didn't happen. Help me tomorrow to grow in faith some more. Then in the morning, when you get ready to brush your teeth, think about what's coming up for the rest of the day. Where are those points where fear might creep in? And say, Lord, I, I need your help on those moments. And think about times when you might practice your faith and recognize it could be awkward. And so anticipate that and do it anyway. And as you're doing this, both in morning and in night, say Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, as much as you can. Try to repeat the entire proverb. Remember, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. You might have to write that down and put it next to your uh, sink, but just repeat that. And as you rinse, uh, you just say, Lord, help me do this today. Help me live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 today. Pay attention and notice that every day, brushing with that opposite hand gets a little easier. And guess what? So does living by faith. At the end of seven days, if you decide, is brushing with the opposite hand helping? Keep doing it. Um, as I say, I know someone who's done it for eight years. Let's just go back to the text. Verse 9. The crowds then uh, that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he did so by faith, not fear. In Jesus Christ, we can live by faith, not fear. Amen. As we look at the calendar, we realize that this is communion weekend. And there are some churches who have asked their people in their homes to find a cracker and to get some beverage and to do communion together, uh, looking at a computer screen. But we've chosen instead to use our communion weekend to acknowledge that we aren't really together. And that's a sad thing. Communion is a community experience. And as much as we are trying to be together, you there and I here, I'm physically by myself. I'm not with you, and that makes me sad. I want to hug you. I want to uh, shake your hand. I, I want to see people loving one another, uh, and that's not happening. And so we will have communion when we all get back together. But for now, uh, let's recognize that uh, there is a sadness to this uh, being apart, and we'll offer that up to the Lord, and we remember his goodness, his life, death, and resurrection. In the meantime, uh, Pastor Jonathan and Lee have given us a little moment of worship. Hi everyone. During this time of our online worship together, I'm going to invite you into a time of prayer. And whether you're alone or whether you're worshiping today with someone else, I'm going to invite you in a moment to pause your recording and pray. Pray by yourself or pray with others that you are with. And to keep our time of prayer focused, I'm asking you to pray for two specific things. The first is praying for our nations and our communities, families, and mourning. We're all aware that the COVID-19 virus is taking lives. And there are families who weren't even able to be with their loved ones in their passing. And then to make matters even worse, 
because of social distancing, uh, funerals, memorial services aren't being held, they're being delayed until sometime in the future. And so it's a challenging time. It's even a more challenging time for the families who have suffered personal loss and are in mourning. So let's pray for families who are in mourning. Secondly, let's be praying for our first responders, our EMTs, our paramedics, our ER nurses and doctors, um, our critical care medical staff, uh, all of those who are on the front lines of caring for those who have contracted the COVID-19. Um, if you're like me, I, I've just seen it on the news. They uh, are at their wits end um, and it's taking its emotional toll and it's taking its spiritual toll on them. And I think uh, the best thing that we can be doing for them is Second to reaching out to them and encouraging them, if you know someone by name who are on the front lines, uh, sending them a text, sending them a note, sending them an email, thanking them for their service. This, the best thing we can also be doing is, is praying for them, that God would uh, put a hedge of protection around them, that they would be able to uh, do their work and care for those who are sick. So let's take a moment now to pray. First John 5.14 tells us that it is with confidence that we can approach God. If we ask in accordance to God's will, God hears our prayers. Amen.
on this Palm Sunday weekend, I want to thank you again for continuing to give your tithes and offerings. This is an important time in the life and future of our church. More information about giving online can be found on our website, stonebridgecme.com. Now go out into the world as fully surrendered followers of Jesus, prepared to be his hands and his feet in the world. Go in peace.